Lovely weather today, huh? That's horrible. It's it's horrible because it's wet. Like if it was just colder, we'd have nice, pretty little snow flurries. Right. But it's just wet, gloomy, and foggy. Yeah, a week ago we were what, fifteen degrees or something like that. Yeah. Now I'm already in a bad mood, so just the weather alone just intensifies it. It's well, all let's, gray. Let's talk about your bad mood, John. Let's talk about your bad mood. You had a bad mood yesterday too. I did. What was that about? That was oh, that was not necessarily like work stuff. We should probably put a disclaimer and say that we're pretty grumpy curmudgeons today in this episode. It's a, it's a, it's a bad way to do a right before. I mean, this is basically a Christmas episode. I was to say, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're expecting like a, a really happy, fun Christmas yeah. episode with cheerful holiday music, maybe some ukulele playing, you're yeah, turn it off. Yeah. Ho ho ho, bitches! <laughs> bah humbug. <laughs> we are the curmudgeons, yeah. and uh, Fitbit happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yesterday was not fun for me. But no, today you walk in and you're ranting and raving. I'm pissed. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your stuff first. I didn't have anything that was not personal, really. Oh, that's so. true. You just spilled beer everywhere. No, I spilled Twice. yeast. Oh, well, beer. <laughs> first time was a big batch of yeast that got destroyed. Anyway. Jeremy said but no, yours was, yours was topical. Oh, so, so, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Let's get right into Salesforce, John. Give give the people what they want. People want want Salesforce. <laughs> I for don't their know. Christmas. I have no idea. I don't. No. So I, I I've talked about it before. I've been replacing these process builders, and um. And that's funny. We call them process builders. I know processes. I don't know. I but just, you can't say process because that's already an over overloaded word in the Salesforce space. It is. I mean that you've got sales processes, business processes. So you so you don't use process builder to make those processes. Yeah. So people call them process builders. So what do you make with a process builder? I make process builders. It seems a little. <laughs> it's wrong, and we should stop using. It. We should stop using it that way. But Salesforce has given us no terminology here to use that I, I know I, of. I don't even know where to begin. I have like within this story, I have probably about five different rants because it was like all these different things that came in at me just just that combined to piss me off. You know, I think part of it was the client pissed me off. Another part of it was um, the process builder processes that I was replacing. Um, pissed me off. The person that wrote them was pissing me off by way of the way they wrote them and implemented them. And then the fact that I, I've been working late trying to make sure that I can take some time off because that's my goal. I want to take some time off. And the other thing is I had something fun planned to do today. The problem is Work-wise, that, yeah. I, had, I had some a fun <laughs> work project to do today. I was excited about getting started on it and I, couldn't, I haven't even touched it yet. So when you, when you're when your standard operating procedure is to always work late, then you can't work late to get caught up and get ahead so that you can take time off. Mm. That wasn't the plan. What happened is towards the end of the day yesterday, there's some stuff that I just hadn't finished testing and I just wasn't comfortable putting it out there yet. And so we pushed back a little bit and then and then we get pushed back again saying, well, is there anything we can do to get it done but more? And this, it just kind of pissed me off. So that's where the client pissed me off was the fact that they kept pushing. Even though we we're pushing back, they pushed back even harder. And I just got to the point where I was like, fine, I'll, I'll freaking try to finish this testing up. At least that'll give me the peace of mind and I can move on with my week and my weekend and not worry about it. They can do their little thing next week and I'll be, I'll be gone. Right. Screw you guys. I'm going home. And of course, throughout 90% of the time you bust your ass, you get it done and then it just sits there for a week because everyone's on vacation. Well, that's my fear. I, that's what's going to happen. I promise you. I so, would bet money. So I got it done. My unit test passed. I even beefed up my unit testing a little bit more to get it to pass. Beefy. Beefy. I always say that. I always say beefy. I always say you beef beefed up. up. You beef up. You like to beef up. You, you like beefy things. I'm beefy. I'm fatty. 
<laughs> You're well marbled. <laughs> yes, I am. USDA Prime. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's going to be the next tangent. Is the gym? <laughs> right. Okay, we're going to do that. No, I'm just. I just. I know. I don't want to get into that. I mean, that's that's. It's, just, well, no, it's the same rant. Everyone I want you has to finish the, the story though, because you you. I heard a little bit about it when you walked in, and I told you to save it for the podcast. So you. We're replacing process builders, right? Process builder processes. Right. Processes? I'm, I'm going to call them process builders. All right, process builders. Just to reinforce how awkward it is that we have a lack of terminology here. So, yeah, okay, so, you were replacing process builders. And I've, I've been replacing them slowly and everything. And Now, why are you replacing process builders? Because they're breaking. Well, for the, it, it's, it's going to go off on a tangent. I'm sorry, but it's, it's going to have to. The person that was writing Process Builder was doing them half fast. They didn't understand the environment that he was building. Wait a minute. Are you telling me what, when you take someone who's not a software engineer and you have them build, that you have them engineer systems, that it doesn't go really well? Sometimes, no. Wow, that's I, that's so shocking to hear that, John. I, I, and I was thinking about how can I phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm bashing anyone who does Process Builder, but this, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it, and you guys take it however you want. People are not taking the time to understand what a process is or what a workflow is and how it works within Salesforce. All they know is they point and click all happy and freely and run it and go, it works, yay. That's they what they've been. They don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. Now, that's if, if that's you don't what have Salesforce no teaches code, you to do. If you have no custom code, then fine. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Salesforce says you can do it, do it. But when you have custom code, it's... I want to curse so bad, custom, but I know this what is, is a custom, fire, fire. John, what is custom code? Custom code. I hear this term. Custom this, code. I don't know. The Apex... Lightning and the things you write. Who doesn't have Apex, or at least via packages or otherwise? There's, I mean, there's some companies that, that live and not die even, by not even, not even any packages. Yeah, well, yeah, packages. I guess I mean, they have them. That and, and doesn't the, that contain the, the, I mean, the process? I'm, I, I don't know what you're. You confuse me now. Process builders could impact that. Yes, because of the way it works. It's it, 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 if if you if you run it, it runs it in a batch context and yeah, all that stuff is running, but then if you try to attach it and jump it over to a flow, then that does its own things. And if you screw up the flow by looping through or, or having it initiate a bunch of other qu- queries, then now anything else trying to trying to inject something into that now gets gets you know thrown out because you run into the query limit or you run into some weird limit because of the way that was written. Yeah. Because they didn't understand what that meant when they said, "Oh, go query a bunch of this stuff and then loop through it to get this value and then go and then go do all this other stuff one by one." Yep. So anyways, I saw a bunch of really crappy stuff in there, some stuff mm-hmm. that was just really dumb and stupid that was just there to get it done. And then the kicker, my test passed. I expected, like I said, I beefed them up. I, I made sure that all the dif- all these different scenarios were going to pass because I didn't want to worry about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to add some extra unit testing here to make sure everything's covered. I checked my code coverage percentages and everything, and they were great. They weren't 100%, but they were they were like in the 90s, right? Okay. And... um. I toss it over to QA. First thing they do is test it, and it's wrong. So yep. then I got into GoTo, and we walked through it all. And as I'm walking through it, I'm like, I, I opened up my, my code, because I was, I was speaking with someone who, who could at least understand the logic. Um, it was our business analyst. And so I'm walking through with her on it, and we're going through the code, and everything's fine. Everything's right in, in terms of the logic that it's, that it's doing. What wasn't fine was that even though I replaced all the process builders, they were wrong. They were doing the wrong thing. So even though I replicated them the way I should, they weren't meeting the requirements the way they were supposed to. Yeah. They were wrong <clears throat> across the board. So then I had to do this mad dash to fix all that. And sometimes it required me in putting in a new query. Sometimes it, it I had to like just shuffle my logic around. Fortunately, the way I wrote the code, 
it's in pieces so I can go and inject pretty quickly where I wanted to. It was just like this mad dash for like for an hour. I was just typing like crazy. Um, and so it just, it just put me in a mood. Mm. The fact that I, I put the extra effort in, validated it, assuming that, that what was written was right. I was already mad because of the way the process builders were implemented and the flows were implemented was just wrong and, and just, I'm going to say asinine, but asinine. And so I was already pissed about that. And then the fact that they weren't even right, they didn't even meet the requirement correctly, made me mad. That, that's, that's a minor tangent topic right there, which is, um, I had something recently where someone had, there was some system that was, and it was not a, even a big system. It had probably three different screens, all that they were kind of graphical and complex. But the, the task was, well, just take, um, we're all, you know, all they want us to do is take this system that's built in PHP and, you know, rebuild it in something else. And, you know, it's all there. We don't, we, no need to go through requirements gathering or any kind of stories. We don't need cards or whatever. Just take mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and, I'm, and I just, I've learned my lesson on this. You, I do not do project. I will not do a project that, that way. Because number one, I'm never going to fully understand what that system does. So I can't copy it perfectly. Yeah. Number two, the people that want this done don't understand fully what that system does. And number three, they, you, they're always going to want to make, they're going to you know, need some kind of changes or there's going to need to be changes to it. Right. And you're just shortcutting that whole process. And you, you, know, you find out at the end that you didn't fully understand, they didn't fully understand, and it turns out like there's stuff they really need changed anyway. So I, I don't ever allow that to be an, a reason to shortcut a yeah. good software process. Well, the other thing that, that kind of bit me on all this, and it goes back to us pushing back on the client in terms of our ability to be ready in time, was because I was supposed to have some help. I was supposed to divide this work up. And um, I handed off something that should have been simple. It was a invocable method. We had something that was doing some remoting calls with a controller from JavaScript into, into a controller. Well, I needed that to be split out into an invocable method and then call that method using um, just an AJAX call. Um, to, to the invocable method. And um, that person, God, it's hard to say this without saying it, but it, it really kind of just, it leads to some other things, but they wrote half of it, but then decided they didn't want to touch the JavaScript part. They were afraid of breaking it or something. And first of all, I'm like, why are you afraid of breaking it? Just write something different or do whatever, try. Mm-hmm. I was mad. I wasn't mad because because they didn't have the skill set or anything. I was mad that they didn't try. And that that pissed me off. I mean, if if you're going to be a developer and you're afraid of trying to build something, you're not a developer. I'm sorry. Get out of here. Go yeah. go go. Process builder or something. I don't know. Do something else because if That's you're, developing you're not too, valuable though. to me as a developer, if you're not going to try something new or tr- I mean, yeah, break it. I don't care. We'll fix it together. But at least try. Yeah. They didn't even try. And I handed them code. All they had to do was modify a few things. The the AJAX call was going to be word for word, aside from the, the action method that it was going to call. It was there. Well, why didn't you just do that yourself then? Because I was trying to divide up the work. I had other stuff that I needed to do. But you said all, all that was required was just to change the name of the actual. Well, because it, it's not that simple. You change something, you, okay. have to, you have to test it, unit test it, functional test it. You have to be responsible for making sure it's in the deployment cycle. I mean, a lot of things comes with changing code. And I just needed to spread that work around. I can't do it all. Um, and so I thought, okay, let's hand this off. Well, after that happened, it pissed me off. Well, I was the, like, I'm not going to... But the, this person, do they have... Um, is this a Salesforce thing? It is, right? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is, yeah. Um, do they not have their Salesforce certifications? I'm sure they got the developer cert. Well, then how could they possibly not have been able to do this? 
But you're, you're telling me that someone who has a devel Salesforce developer certification, there's that's not, that's not all you need to know about them? I mean, I thought that was, the, you know, this is Salesforce University. Well, well here's, here's, the, here's the thing. There, there's a, I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. There's, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a tidal wave influx coming to Jesus. Uh, I don't know, a reckoning, reckoning. Okay. There's going to be a reckoning in the Salesforce community in terms of development. Because Salesforce is moving to Lightning. They're adding more to Lightning. They're adding the data services, which means you'll be able to live more in Lightning. And I'm saying Lightning specifically for a reason. Mm -hmm. Means less and less of your code and even your data access to certain things will need to be in Apex because it can be accessible through Lightning. And what is Lightning? HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Right. I'm running into people who just don't want to touch JavaScript. These are, these are people who call themselves Salesforce developers. They're basically Apex-only developers for the most part. Maybe not for the most part. That's what they are. And they don't want to touch JavaScript. They're afraid of it. Well, I mean, what have I been saying about this ecosystem of Salesforce developers for years? They're not really developers. Yeah. And, they're I gonna, mean, and, and, I would, and here's just a piece of advice. I mean, take it or not, I don't care. But if you are a Salesforce, if this is what you kind of grew up in and you, you know, you're... You, haven't really done other software development work besides Salesforce, you really should go learn something else. Just as a side project, learn it on the side, build something with it, um, pick something mainstream, Ruby, Node, something like that, and just go learn something else. You will, it will make you a better Salesforce developer. Mm -hmm. It will. Well, it'll also make you aware of the tooling. <laughs> The tooling that's out there and available in. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll take some time. Of course, but yeah. once, you, once you taste of that sweet fruit... <laughs> You might, you might want to leave the nest after that. <laughs> uh, and then here's the other thing. So I needed to get some logs because we we're trying to figure out what happened. Why was this not working the way we we're expecting it? it? Even though it technically was working, it's just the requirement. It wasn't meeting the requirements. It was actually changing a status, which caused other things to fire, which was changing record types. And we were like, why is it changing the record types? And so I, I wanted to do a trace of the system and see what was going on. And I opened up the developer console and what do I see? That code from that guy that, that I had him help me out with, mm -hmm. he had those pages open in Developer Console, which means he was developing yeah. in the damn Developer Console. That's what Salesforce and tells a, you to do. That's a smell to me. That's a smell to me. Developer <laughs> no. Console is fine if you need to change something really quick mm -hmm. or, or just look at something. But as as your primary do you not, IDE, do you not watch, no. the, watch when Salesforce pays or has one of their, their top evangelists give demos on how to build Lightning. They're doing it in the Developer Console half the time. Well, I think earlier on that was because that was the only thing that supported it. But you have Maven's Mate now, Illuminated Cloud. Well, it's um, all just Eclipse, text. You can you can do it in anything. It's just text that you have to save and send to Salesforce. I mean, you can you don't even have to have a fancy IDE tool to do this development. True. But they chose, and they still do, to to demo it in Developer Console. Well, I, I will counter that and say I have seen plenty of people, and maybe they're not Salesforce people, but I've seen plenty of people do sessions. Yeah. And they they would show their code. Right. It would be in Maven's yeah. Mate or something else. Right. And in Eclipse, which is Salesforce's or their right. their ID that they the plugin that they promulgate, um, that that supports Lightning now apparently much better. I'm told. I would know. I will not allow those dirty bits on my computer. Dirty but, bits. Yeah. <laughs> show title. Yeah. <laughs> like that. By the way, this is a, this is going to be a catch and release episode because we're recording two days late and it's just like right before the holidays. So if we don't if we don't release this thing like right after we finish, it's it's not going to happen. It's not gonna happen <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, we we got to we got to make sure we pick a title really fast. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm curious why instead of, okay, when you started to go replace these process builders and flows, you know, they were, you said they were wrong. Um, why didn't you just fix the process builders and flows? Why did you decide to, you know, boil the ocean and rewrite everything in Apex? Because they were impacting other code. In fact, there's there was. But one, I thought, one John, I thought the process builder and flow were that was the way to build things. Now, no, it's not. Uh, this one particular issue actually prevented us from deploying into production. It was a process builder that, if you didn't set everything correct, like you, we we grow across this in code. That's why we have these factory methods for our unit test to create unit test data, mock data, so that if if there's a new dependency in the system, we can change it one place and all our other tests get get that propagated. So yeah. if there's a new, say, on the account, and there's in, all of a sudden industry now becomes required right. for everything. Mm-hmm. Well, now we can just go change that in the factory and add in a default industry and everything else still works. Yep. Um, and I think that's what was happening with this process builder is, is some of the tests weren't setting certain values that it was expecting, but then it, it was expecting to be able to send that to a flow. And all we got back was like, failure to initiate flow error and it would break unit testing. And this is an org where it takes an hour to unit test. So, you know, just imagine the frustration of someone who had to stay up all night, not just me, but others trying to get around this issue and figure out which one's causing the issue so they can turn it off and deploy their code. So that's when we're just like, you know, this is turning into a too big of an issue. It's too much of a hassle. It's costing us time. It's costing the client money. Even the client agreed. Let's let's get rid of these processes. So I still have a hard time explaining to people, um, people that you know, people that we we both know who are you know very smart people, experienced Salesforce consultants, admins, um, great at like solution design, great at requirements eliciting, all that kind of stuff. I have a hard time explaining to them why I still I, why I really don't want to be involved with processes and flows. Um, and you know their answer is well. I mean, it's just I I can do things that I I couldn't otherwise do with this. And I, and I tell them I, I tell them I I understand that, but just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And it just there's I feel like there's nothing I can say to them. There's no way for me to explain how this is really a kind of a dangerous tool. It's dangerous because it seems light and fluffy and fun and and it, it, it's empowering to you if you're not a, if you're not a programmer well it seems right? safe i mean it seems i mean it work, seems we, like they've it. been lulled by workflow which workflow for the most part has been fairly safe i mean it has caused certain issues when updates happen and it messes with your code but we can we, it's like performance wise it seems fine i've never had performance the errors are, are correct uh, right. they bubble up correctly exactly. we can identify them they're in the log we can see everything and and maybe if process builder and flow fixes that, maybe it'll be just as benign as workflow at this point. But right now, it's not benign. But yeah, people still don't. You know, they just they think I'm I don't know crazy or just an old curmudgeon, and I don't I don't want to learn these new things. I'm just like, no, that's not it. And and also, I mean, if you're going to build a let's say a oh my gosh, let's say you're going to build a, a payroll system and something that's got just all kinds of rules and policies and all this, you know, all kinds of different logic. Do you really want to, and, and maybe I'm, maybe this is a, not a fair example because that's kind of a big thing, but I mean, do you really want to start building your system in these drag and drop boxes and things, things that don't support very good reuse, don't, you can't, there's really no patterns, there's, there's no good way to organize stuff. I mean, with, with code, you've got, you've got all these tools, you know, but maybe, I mean, that maybe really allow it to scale. I don't know. Maybe it'll come with time. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's still a very. I can't imagine how. I mean, yeah, it, and so I don't know. I mean, it, this is just you know again something for me. I struggled, and every time I try to explain someone to, to someone why I don't want to really be involved with flows or why why I'm suggesting they don't. Right. 
um, I always I always feel like they are looking at me with thinking to themselves, uh, well, he, you know, he's just uh, he just wants to do it his way. Yeah. Or, you know, he does. He's afraid that he's, uh, you know, we're taking his work or something. And that's like, and that's the furthest from the truth. I mean, I just, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to take some of this work. Some of it, <laughs> some of it I don't want to do. Yeah. But it's just that I know that I'm going to get pulled back into this and it's going to be an effing disaster. And it's going to, that we're going to be up all night like you guys were. And it's going to be costing the client time and money. And we just should have done it right the first time. We should have yeah. used the right tools the first time. You know, well, and, and it's that slippery slope. It's, 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 you know, right tool for the job, right? So if you're just going to build some small little thing, like, and you don't really, and you don't have access, that's what some people like, they don't, they don't have a developer. They have no, this is their only way to build. And I'm, you know, those things, I'm like, I'm like, okay, fine. I mean, that's, I would do it in Process Builder too, then if I were you. But if, if this is like the beginning of what you know is going to end up being a big system, then I would just start from scratch. Like, do not start building on a foundation of process builders. That's a very shaky foundation. Yeah. Well, I, I made an I made an obvious because we've talked about this numerous times, and I, I've made some observations that I find that a lot of the issues I'm having with Process Builder are not Process Builder itself. It's this this interaction with Process Builder and Flow, and also you know its inability to, to to bubble up errors correctly. But that that Flow tool I think is my bigger issue. Flow I think just needs to be scrapped and redone completely. Well, they're kind I of think doing Process that. Builder. <laughs> I think Process Builder can be saved, and you know its UI and interface. I, it's good for what it is. I think it could be a good workflow replacement if all these other things get fixed. But I think that flow tool is really what kills me because that's what's happening. You get to a point where you can't do something or you get to a point where you've, you've at least identified, you know, what you want to respond to. And then people just toss that over to flow and then they start doing this ugly crap in flow. That's really ugly, inefficient, just don't do it in flow type stuff. And that's where the issues are starting to come from that yeah. I've noticed. So it's hard for me. To, I keep saying process builder, but I think what I really mean is flows. Flow. I really hate flows. Yeah. Uh, I think process builder could be fixed. I think it has some potential as a kind of logic engine is kind of like a, you know, almost a trigger distributor where we can, we can say you can configure your, your logic of when you want to kick off this thing and call an invocable method and have it have code do that because code can be efficient at doing that. And all I need to know is when to do this code. Yeah. It, that's an interesting, I mean, that, uh, Kind of resonates with me a little bit the idea that somehow you'd use flow as a way that your declarative people could also see and control how logic is executing. Right. But when it comes to the actual execution of that logic, that's when you that's when it drops down into Apex, right? right. Maybe that's, that's kind of interesting. Although I think it's it, it'll take a while for those kind of patterns and practices to emerge and and just figure out how you know. How best to use these things, but yeah, I just I don't know. This is it's I this I am not looking forward to this ongoing struggle of me trying to explain to people why they need to be careful with this because it's hard to explain. I don't think I've I have not come up with the right our arguments. I guess I think I haven't been able to articulate this well yet. I, I need to work on this. Yeah. So so another thing. Maybe I, I should of, uh, write a blog post on my imaginary blog that doesn't exist <laughs> on your private hidden blog. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day. Uh, I was like, "Is this is your is this blog dot Jeremy Ross? Is that a real thing?" I'm like, "Well, it used to be. I think it was Brett. Brett Nelson." Mm. Or so anyways, Bre <laughs> another thing I've noticed about this since we're talking about this world of process builders and people just doing stuff. Um, I think it's the culture, the Salesforce culture that kind of creates a lot of this because when you get into Salesforce, 
you experiment. You have you get a developer sandbox, you get trailhead, you get to explore and and learn how to do all these really different things, right? What what culture are you talking about? Just the Salesforce community in general. This, this culture this is awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> that culture, right? That culture. Yeah. yeah. It and it encourages this kind of experimentation. It's amazing. It's a magical time. <laughs> it encourages this 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 experimentation or this kind of drive to Someone else has figured that out. Go go look up on the Stack Exchange. Go look at the community. You know, go to someone's favorite blog who who says here's here's a formula to do this, and it may be some god awful gigantic formula. And so they go, oh cool, that's how you do that. They grab it, they copy, it, they paste it, they put it in, and they they they're awesome. They got it to work. They got it. They got it to do it. They they did all this experimentation, and, and it works. They don't really know how or why it works. They just know that it works. They found this thing. Someone showed them how. They point and clicked it. They don't really understand it, but they're they're following the recipe. Yeah, and and that to me is it's like the difference between a, a you know a chef who really understands how these ingredients incorporate, how they work, the value of the salt and what it brings, and the value of you know said seasoning or the fat content or whatever. Yeah, it's the difference between that and someone who just kind of like takes a steak or something or and just fries it up and sticks it on a plate, no seasoning or you know it's it's that kind of difference to me. You know, you're following a recipe, you don't really understand how or why it works or why you need the baking soda in the cake or whatever. Yeah. You know, and 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 so for me that that means that the end result may look like it like it's good, but once you get into it, it may not be. It's the illities. The illities. Right. So okay, so this person somehow managed to cobble this thing together, and when you click the button, it looks like it does what it's supposed to do. Okay, great. Well, is it is it secure? Well, who knows? Because that person doesn't know the first thing about application security. Is it um, maintainable? Is it scalable? Is it going, you know, what happens when you hit the data loader with it? You know, I mean, there's all these abilities, right? Scalability, yeah. maintainability, um, whatever. I mean. And, and, and I, I, say, I say all this just to, to illustrate a very specific scenario with the, with the things that weren't working correctly. In that they came across an issue. They needed it to do X, Y, Z. And instead of communicating with everyone on the team and saying, hey, I need it to, I need this. You know, what's mm-hmm. the, you know, is this something that is already handled somewhere? Is this something that we need to do in code? Is this something that's potential for process builder? That communication wasn't happening. So that's probably on the, on the team and for that person for not reaching out to the team. They just decided, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get this done with a process builder. Yeah. And sure, they got it to work. They tested it and go, oh yeah, there's the value that I needed there. And there it is. Right. Well, it turns out that was triggering for everything. It yeah. turns out that given all the entirety mm-hmm. of the system, it was doing it wrong. Well, do you guys have like, do you have a Trello or some kind of something that you guys run that you put your work into so that people can see what's being worked on and we do. and they just bypass that completely? Yep. Okay, that's not good. Yeah. It's not a good, I mean, the, the team itself is, is kind of, it's, it's sad because we've been trying to bring in more people into this team because there's a lot of work and we need help and we need to spread the work around. But we're getting this this anxiety where we can't we feel like we can't mm, trust anyone because yeah. everyone it's it's what like did, what did what did, like Tom, what did what did Tom DeMarco and Tim Lister teach us about teams and people? <laughs> I'm just saying it's, just, it's hard. It's very hard. We're in this dating phase. Yeah. So so the B A and me we're, we're we're in this dating phase where we're trying to find someone to 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 have a relationship with. Sounds like a book or a, <laughs> a graphic novel. And everyone keeps letting us down. Everyone keeps you know disappointing us, and, and so we we end up having not only do we miss out on being able to spread this work around, we also have to take our work, fix their work, and then incorporate it all and try to get it released on a reasonable time frame. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's the situation we find ourselves time and time again. Every time we try to reach out and find someone to help us, it, it, it's backfiring. Which comes back to, we're, we're not doing a good job at hiring. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's just, it's very hard. I mean, again, you, you can go through a hundred people who are, have this certification or that certification or whatever, and it, it just, it really kind of doesn't matter. Um, I mean, those things are nice to have, you know, and they can, and we've talked about certification a million times, you know, they're great, they're great to have, you know, and, and, and the, and the, this type of ecosystem that Salesforce has created where they make a ton of money off certifications, it's just going to be part of the ecosystem. You've got to, you kind of have to play that game. I, I would say 98% of people have to play that game. You just get the certifications, right? Because um, that's, that's what gets you, it's a, it's table stakes. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're going to, you know, you, you're going to 10, 10 resumes and they've, they're all going to have these certifications. Um, but you you really have to dig down because there's so much more into whether people are going to work and and again gel on your team. Yeah, um, you, you can't even. I mean, that I think the best thing to do is just bring them in on, the, on a, some kind of trial basis or whatever. That's kind of the way it's turning out. Is yeah. But I mean, we're, we're at the point where we just need we need to be able to trust people. We need to be able to bring someone in and trust them to get it done. And if they have issues, raise their hand or even just communicate. But what we end up with is, is a lot of people who are just rogue who kind of do their own thing, continue to do their own thing. They feel like they think they know better. But the problem is, sure, that might work on a, on a, on a project where you're the only one developing or it's a small environment. But in this environment, it's big. It's complex. And it's not the cleanest code base. It's not the cleanest data model. It's got a lot of bad legacy stuff in it that we have to work around. And it, it takes communication to really make that work. Yeah. And these people aren't communicating. And, yep. and as much as I want to try to enforce communication, I'm not a micromanager. I don't want to have to sit there and, and set up a weekly meeting to say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Well, We're all adults. Does I should your, be able to trust you to do your D- stuff. Is your team culture, is it, is it strong? Like if I was to join that team, would I, would I immediately, uh, within you know, a few days, would I, would, I, would I really notice and feel that team culture? Like, oh, wow, this is, this is how these guys talk to each other. This is how they communicate. They're, you know, they're consistent about how they get their work done. They're effective. Like, and would I be able to jump into that and see that and, and, and be, it'd be pretty clear on how I need, how I need to function to, to fit into that culture. I think you would, because you have the right background and experience to understand why we do the things we do, but we're running into people who just don't even understand that. You know, uh, they don't understand like, like a, a sprint meeting where the goal is just to prioritize, commit and make our commitments and then, and then get it done. They don't understand okay. the concept of. You know, let's let's set up smaller meetings for to discuss questions and comments, and and we have things like Slack to to have that kind of ongoing communication where it's not a bunch of emails flying around. You know, we I would love to say we're at we could do agile, but we just can't. We're just not there as a team. <clears throat> but we try to borrow as much as we can to right. try to organize things in a way and mm-hmm. encourage communication and encourage you know some kind of organization around the activities. What's due? What's on your plate? You know, you know what's next. Um, so, but we're really just relying on people to be adults and say, Hey, I got a question or I've got, I've got to do this. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, you know, or I have this idea of how I can accomplish this. Does anyone see any issues with that? We're just not getting that from everyone. Yeah. This, this is where, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and the reason I asked about that, if the team culture was strong, it's because if, if it's, if it's not a strong existing team culture, then sometimes when you bring someone in, they, they may have, you know, some decent experience um, and, and, know how to function somewhat on a team, but if if it's not clear how the team works, if that culture is not readily apparent, then they may have trouble actually kind of 
fitting in, figuring out when to speak out and how to. Well, I, I guess that I guess that's a good good topic to kind of explore a little bit more because what does that look like? I mean, for me, we introduced someone to the, the project. We kind of let them know ahead of time, you know, hey, this is a pretty big org. It's really complex. It's not just us in here. There are other consulting companies building stuff in here. You know, we there's there's multiple layers of communication. There's there's client politics to deal with where you know certain certain groups have a very high say in how we do things and there are other groups who don't yeah and they're competing and we just got to work around that you know it, it is what it is and so we try to give that kind of background we try to give some background on you know what the goals are what you know what the kind not really chain of command but you know who to ask for certain things because they're domain experts basically yeah you know this person really understands this piece so if you have any questions and you find yourself interacting with that talk to them um so I don't know. Is that is that a strong dynamic? Is it? Does I think, it need to I think be more? so. I, I was just thinking. I'll try to describe it. I think um, you know you can't rely on the do as I say, not as I do. Like it's got to be. It's got to be more the you know monkey see, monkey do. I mean, if you guys have got to be exhibiting the right behavior in a clear and apparent way, and you got to be consistent, right? I mean, I'm not saying like I mean obviously you know you're going to have variances. Teams have variances because one week someone's out and the next week there's some event happening or yeah. there's some go live. So there's always stuff. But I mean, in general, like the, the, the happy path has to be like people are, you know, you're communicating the right ways and doing the right things. And again, it shouldn't take, the question is like, how long would it take a reasonable person to jump into this, this game of double Dutch jump rope and be able to get their footing and, and jump in and, you know, if it's a well-functioning team, it shouldn't take that long. It should be pretty clear how you do things, how you surface things, when to ask questions, yeah. who to go to for stuff. But if it's a dysfunctional, disjointed and team that were crap just all over the place and no one's sticking to the process, then it can be very difficult even for an intelligent, experienced person to know, like, what, what should I do in any given situation? Well, we and, to- and that's, why, that's why I'm putting more value on communication because I don't want to over-engineer this with process and say, okay, this, you know, you know go fill out your TPS report. <laughs> Right. For the week, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I just don't want that. I don't want, I don't want this team to be micromanaged. You know, no, I want, I want to go. I, this and I don't. I certainly don't mean to imply that that it should be some kind of strict, um, you know, highly managed process. Obviously, I, you know, I'm not. But I mean, the scenario I described. I mean, does that seem? I don't know. Reasonable that you know we 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 spend the, the small amount of time at the beginning of the week to kind of organize ourselves for the week in terms of what we're going to deliver. But what I don't want it to become is. Okay, you said you're going to have this last week, but you don't. What's going on? That type of thing, because that's kind of a different conversation. I, what I really want to get done is is what do we have planned for this week? What's what's the estimate and the commitment for when that's going to be done so we can test it? Right. You know, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's good to I think plan things. Yeah, I guess it's uh, maybe the, what's the problem with that you guys have been having? It's it's between the planning sessions where maybe people don't know how to do or or, or don't know what to do or. Or if they're not going to meet some expectation, or if something's changed a little bit, like do they? At what point do they bring that to the team or to someone and say, "Hey, I think you know this is not based on what the plan we talked about. This may not happen, or I'm going to need help, or it's not what we thought it was." Yeah, because people are scared to bring those things up. I, I wonder if that's part of it. If 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 people are just kind of scared to say, "I can't figure well, this out." This is actually gr- another kind of really, I think, a really good team culture point. You sh- you need to be demonstrating to people um, through actual. S- actions that people it, that it's encouraged and rewarded to bring up bad news yeah. if, if if someone sees someone getting in trouble for bringing up bad news or for letting people know that they may not hit something they said they thought they were going to hit 
if they if they're getting punished for that, then that's a huge culture problem. They should be rewarded. I mean, you should be the first the first thing that someone should say is, "Oh, thanks for letting me know about that. Let's talk about what we how that affects things or what we can do." Yeah, because it always happens. I, it happens to everyone, and it's, you know, it's not it's not it's a what is it, what's the term for it? Um, you know, it's it's the same idea of like blameless. Um, uh, not you know, like postmortems, blameless postmortems. Although, mm-hmm. what's the better word for postmortem? The um, I don't know if it's called. Yeah, there's another term people use that's uh, a retros- like a retrospective meeting. Mm. Um, if if those things are not truly blameless, then people will not speak up, and you will not get better as a team. Right. And I don't. I don't think that's happening. I think. I think you know, anytime an issue does come up or something just doesn't work in the way we we think it is, those of us that have kind of been on the project long enough. It's not an issue. We don't have any problem, you know, raising our hand or or kind of saying, "Hey, I need to talk about this and understand this." Um, it just seems it's weird because Salesforce as a community has encouraged people to ask questions, and and there's plenty of help out there for people. So it's right. weird when I come across a consultant that just feels feels like they gotta they gotta be the lone wolf, you know? Well, and this is why this is why again people are not cogs. I mean, it's hard to find culture fit. Maybe this person's not a good culture fit. Yeah. Or even just try. I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think about you know the people I've interacted with that kind of just went off and did their own thing and it was wrong. <clears throat> and then I think about the people who just didn't try to do anything at all, and just kind of gave up and moved on to something else. And I'm, yeah. you know, both those situations frustrate me for different reasons. Well, we probably should move on. <laughs> but first. We need to we have something to take care of here. Oh, nice. <laughs> what, what, what have you brought us for? Our... <laughs> um, I was trying to be quiet so this you can is, get your pour in. This is um, from Brooklyn Brewery. It's their black chocolate stout. It's a 10%, I guess, Russian imperial stout. And it's they've made this for several years now, but I've been told that it gets it's been getting better every year. And this is the 2016, which I think was just recently released. Mm. Hold on, you reach across. It's like a like a marathon baton. Yeah, <laughs> don't drop it. Passing the beer. <laughs> it smells pretty boozy. It's got a nice kind of brown head on it. I think my, uh, I think this weather has been messing with my sinuses, so I'm not really getting much on the nose. Really? Yeah. Well, if that doesn't smell boozy to you, then you. Well, it does. You've been, I, you've been desensitized normally, to booze. Normally, I can smell like some kind of chocolate or some kind of sweetness to it, or some kind of aroma or floral or something. But I'm just not getting. It's uh, it's nice. It's roasty. It's got a nice. This has a nice roast to it, but it avoids what sometimes plagues stouts, which is it can veer into ashy and char, and almost like someone took a cigarette tray full of burnt-up cigarette butts and just liquefied it. <laughs> you do get a little bit of that kind of... I that don't. Kind of, I, I get, get roast. Bit, I get a little bit of the char and the roast, and then after, I guess on the edges of the tongue, it, it kind of opens up a little bit more. I'm getting something different, which I haven't identified yet, but... That was my first kind of taste. So you'll get to tr- you'll get to try my new stout tonight. So John and I are going to. I'm having a par- a Christmas party. Prime rib. 
we're doing. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I hope. Yeah, I have um, my staff. No be kid ready. night too. No kids. Yeah. Um. Okay. I've been seeing some some more things. I just want to bring this up just because I feel like this is an issue we always need to keep our keep a, uh, a handle on, which is performance stuff. Um. Lots of reports, more, more reports recently of sandbox issues. So slow to create again, multiple days, and then multiple uh, days of what? Waiting for a sandbox to oh be to created. Refresh. Yeah. yeah, and then and then also perform once you're in the sandbox performance, just like developer performance issues. So this person saying, you know, normally they thought that Salesforce, you know, take a few seconds to save a class or a page or whatever, and they're getting you know ten plus seconds on everything. And then, you know, this other people comment and say, gosh, if, if it only took 10 seconds, I would be so happy. Right. So obviously people are saying just lots of slowness. And of course, the, the, I think the nagging thing I see um, is test speed. I mean, just the test. I, I don't clear. I just have no idea why tests are as slow as they are. Takes Extremely forever. slow. But I have to give some props here. In general, I've over the past few months have seen much better performance in sandboxes on, um, on saves like the, the tooling tooling calls to mm-hmm. save classes, uh, pages, triggers, whatever. It's gotten much better for me, and I'm talking in like the about the about the about the three second range. Huh. I'm I'm still really disappointed by performance in general with Salesforce when it comes to just processing something. I've been um I I think I mentioned before that I've been. I wrote some CSV importer stuff for smaller files. Well, a client came up with a larger file. I knew that was going to happen. <sighs> yeah. Every time we talk about CSV parsing in Salesforce, I'm like, there, you, there's no streams, so you're going to have to load the the whole file into memory. Yeah. Then you're going to have to then you're going to have to split it, and that's all going to be in memory. Yeah. And on top of that, you're you're probably doing some you're doing regular expressions. No, okay, good. No, I'm because, character by character. Okay, you're you're keeping like state. So it's I'm, not even it's not even state. What I'm doing is I'm reading the characters until I find the token that I want. You know, comma basically. Well, what if what if that's separate. inside a value, a text value though? It, com- it keeps track of it. So it, it actually okay. ca- creates a counter, and then it so just kind of decrements. So you keep it state. It's a little yeah. bit of a state machine there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. And then and then what I store because I don't want to duplicate data. I don't like say okay, here's this field now. Put it over here in this array. All I store is the um, array index in the file of where that data is. So it's just so you know from zero to ten is this field, and from, oh, from eleven to this okay. is that field. That way, I'm not bloating my memory. I mean, I'm 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 bloating it by you're bloating it less, less right? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I mean, if the field is like a hundred, it's still only you know what two integers. And if you're you know if your CSV is a couple of megabytes or something, that's you're probably okay. But so you've hit something where what they they're they wanting to do a bigger file. Yeah, and I was trying to find out where the issue was because I thought, well, maybe there's something I can do to. We should. I should also ex- explain. Sorry to interrupt there. Okay. Um, what what I mean by saying there's no streaming and and there there actually Salesforce has added some in really specific cases you can do streaming. I think there's like basically well like uh, they've got an XML parser that's a that's a you know kind of forward reading mm-hmm. stream parser. Event. What's the event based XML parser called? Um, it's it's you know so you've got the document model which is mm-hmm. not a stream and then no. what what anyway um, so what streams are <clears throat> it's just like a general it's a general you know programming pattern but it's it's the idea that instead of like, like let's take a file for example instead of opening the whole file just as this giant blob in memory um, you 
bits of, you know, uh, chunks of it get read in at a time. And you're basically just, you're kind of, um, imagine if, uh, I'm trying to think of how to, how to describe how a stream would work, but you're basically, you are, it's almost the way you would read, like say you were reading a document, you know, your, your eyes go from, from just from left to right across, you're kind of streaming across that. You don't have to fit, you don't have to look at every character at, at once in the, in the document. You can just kind of go word by word through the thing. And that's what streaming is. And the great thing about it is you only have to fit a little bit of that file into memory at a time. So you could parse a, a thousand megabyte CSV file. Yeah. Because only a little bit, only, you know, maybe a couple of K have to fit in memory at any time. Right. And in general, Salesforce just has no streaming. You can't stream a file. You can't stream... Um, Data set? You, you can't stream HTTP or any kind of calls, you know, network calls. All right. So... So that's the uh, that's why I say you know if you're going to be parsing CSVs and APEX, <laughs> just be careful because you there is no streaming and you know as long as if you know it's never going to be more than a couple of meg, you're probably safe. But otherwise, I would look at something else. Yeah, and I, I knew I knew that at some point there'd be a file that would, this tool couldn't handle, but I wanted to see where it was failing. You know what what was going on because I couldn't tell if it was was it the fact that the file was taking too long to upload that was because it was I was getting CPU timeout issues, but when I was getting it. It was only, it, it, um, it felt like it was uploading and then all of a sudden my screen would switch to the error. And I was trying to figure out, is it erroring on uploading or is it erroring on me parsing, trying to parse that file? And it was, it was erroring on parsing the file. Um, so I was looking for options. I was like, is there some way I can pre-process this file? And, and so I, I found, I, I wanted to see if I could maybe do it client side. And there is if you if you only want to support Chrome and Firefox, so they have the file reader um, implementation. Don't they all have that now? No. Who doesn't have that? Safari. Uh, Safari doesn't, and then a couple like Opera and I don't know some other browsers that I don't remember what what's on the list. I just know that it was like a little, one of the later versions of Firefox and Chrome that support it. <clears throat> um, every I'm just looking on can I use, which is by the way. Great resource. You use can I use, right? You know what that is? No. Really? I don't. So everyone should, if you don't know that, check it out. Can In fact, I Google use. can I use, no spaces, and then do file reader. Can I use space file reader? And it just, it'll, or whatever the thing is you want to check. And it'll, gives you this chart of every single browser. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yep. this is awesome. I did not know this existed. Okay, so, so I guess later versions of Safari support it. Hang on, John. Oh, so so there, there's a little bit better support than I thought for that, which is good because I think it it could really open things up for us in terms of being able to do some client side stuff with yeah, files. Like even IE supports it, just doesn't support the read as binary string method, which right. you probably wouldn't be using anyway. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, obviously, regular expressions is something to avoid when you're parsing a file because it 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 it's very resource intensive. Yeah, and understanding when cause you can do things with regular expressions that don't seem that crazy that make the regular expression go into some crazy memory eating, yeah. you know, craziness. Uh, so, so most, most file readers that I've interacted with or seen that I've kind of cloned my technology on is, is it kind of goes character by character and it finds all the, the tokens and everything it needs to be aware of. And that's what, that's why, that's why I modeled what I did after that for performance. Um, so anyways, I found this one on, on Google. I, I, uh, Papa something. It was some, some kind of, Papa CSV or something. I don't know. It was, it was some project someone created out there. It had a demo site okay. of it. 
And so all I did was I gave it my file that, that my code couldn't process less than a, maybe, maybe two seconds, maybe not, maybe not even that it parsed that file in like less than two seconds. Why couldn't Salesforce do that? We saw in performance. Yes. Cause I have another just anecdote. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just, I just, I want to understand why is it this, this client side JavaScript program could parse that file so fast. And yet when I'm doing something that I feel is extremely efficient code because you're Salesforce it it's it can't even I'll get tell you why because this is the truth you're probably paying Salesforce you know depending on which client which org you know anywhere from 15 to $150,000 a month and you're getting about $2.50 a month worth of actual compute value out of that you're basically paying Salesforce for their IP that you get very little compute power it's so limited it's it's one of the few situations where I could actually say Okay, there's no database writing, there's no DMLs, there's no CRUD operations. All I'm doing is is pure text processing. I'm reading a character in a loop. Yep. That's all I'm doing. And 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 pushing pushing a few integers into an array. That is some low some very basic basic. Yeah. <laughs> why did it why am I hitting a 10 second CPU limit? I don't know. When this this client side <laughs> JavaScript tool does it in in less than a second. And you're not using regular expressions? No. So it should be pretty performant then. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. Um, so my anecdote, another one was a client who was kind of complaining that about batch jobs. And normally with batch jobs, you know, the you you can kick off a batch job and, and if it's like an immediate, well, they are. I mean, just like a future, right? It's, it's, it's asynchronous. It's going to be out of band. But, um, you know, the, the thing is Salesforce says, well, you know, basically just as soon as we have Compute resources will process that. And it's usually like zero to five seconds. Mm. Um, and for most of the time it is. I'd love to see what this, the distribution looks like for how long you wait in a queue. But this client of mine is seeing you know, wait times of like 15 minutes. And we're trying to test code that, we're trying to test this batch. And it's like every time we kick it off, now it's, oh, yeah. she's, she's kicking it off and it's like it's 15 minutes for it to even start. And I'm just like, ah, that's... And again, you know, you've given Salesforce all this money and they're putting you, they're making you stand in a line for 15 minutes. Like, this is ridiculous. It's just computers. Like, spin up some more computers. <laughs> Maybe that's why they moved to Amazon. So it they could can just be. Say, Amazon, I know. spin up some more computers. Yeah, it's just like, this is ridiculous. I mean, there's, and I know Salesforce has all kinds of crazy smart operation, reliable, reliability engineers, and, and they've got all kinds of this technology. And I know they're monitoring all these things. I mean, I guarantee you that's a metric that gets monitored every which way possible, you know, queue times for things. But they I, they know how long it takes to compile a file. They think, know how long their their batch queue jobs are sitting in batches right now. So why aren't they fixing that? Why how why would that be able to last more than a few minutes? It's cloud computing. You guys supposedly kind of invented it, but it's like anyone else would just have auto scaling kick in and throw some more hardware at it. I, I don't. I mean, I I hate to be cynical about this in my response, but no, what, you love to be cynical. <laughs> Fine. I'm gonna enjoy saying this. It doesn't. It doesn't impact the stock. Maybe. Maybe if the fact that that they could process X number more transactions in a, in a time frame means means an upper tick in their stock, and, and then they would care. I think that. I feel like when it comes to the technology and the tooling, if it, if it doesn't let, help them sell more CRM licenses, more sales cloud licenses, more service cloud licenses, which are the are the bigger one on on the uptick, they don't care. I hate to be that way, but I know, I, that's I what know. it feels. No, I know to it. Us. I know I, I fall into that mode of thinking quite often. Um, but then the other part of my brain thinks, 
Well, that doesn't make any sense because if you don't make happy customers, they're not going to you're not going to retain them and they're not going to be they're not going to help you get more customers. If you have happy customers, they help you get more customers and that's exactly what Salesforce wants. But are we the minority? Are, are, are those of us well, that I are hitting not, it this hard and trying to process 2 meg files and I mean, are we the minority? No, because the people who I mean, we're still at the point in Salesforce's life where 80% of the decisions are still made by like CMOs and VPs of sales and they don't even understand what we're talking about. To them, they're happy because eventually we we make we make this stuff happen. We get it done so that everything works. So they don't see this pain, this unnecessary pain. Sometimes they don't see that. Yeah. So yeah. So so when you when they go to Dreamforce, they rant and rave about how much they love Dreamforce or the Salesforce. You know? and, and so overall, it's a really good platform. It's just there's these you know Salesforce. It's not a it's not a development platform. It's a it's a CRM that they. Kind of man, they kind of shoehorned a development platform into. It's still a CRM system. Yeah. Well, it looks like um, it looks like I won't. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. I guess I'm, I can say it. So I think there's a webinar in two weeks. I think it's an MVP thing, so I won't be able to talk about it. But I think it's on the Salesforce DX stuff. Well, yeah, because I mean, obviously, the, the performance is a huge DX uh, topic, right? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know if if the focus right now for DX is is the is the deployment technology, or if it's also performance, or you know what they're focusing on. I'm, right I'm going to take them at their word when they say it's about the developer experience. This has got to be something they're they're working on. Yeah. Do they know about? So it, it's 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 kind of a question that I have because I you know being an MVP, I do get access to certain things ahead of time, or even before they're even ready to even talk about it or announce it because they're kind of still thinking it through. That also means that I'm aware of knowledge that I can't talk about because I'm under NDA, and so now I'm debating if I should even go to the webinar because then I feel like I won't be able to, I won't be able to say well, anything. Not, yeah, you're you're burdened. You'll be burdened with yeah. having to keep secrets. I feel like if I don't go, then I can say whatever I want. But then maybe that's not how it works. Maybe it's the fact that I'm an MVP and I'm saying stuff that it still matters. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I have one one more thing before we need to get the questions because we ask people to send in topics and questions, and oh and yeah, we actually got. Quite, what quite, am I doing? Not not very many people, but I mean, like for example, one Doctor Nick, he 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 loaded us up. Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> well, he had that long that long email, right? Yeah, is that the one we want to get into right now? Um. Well, in fact, that one I think I forwarded. I didn't have a chance to read that one yet. I like like bits and pieces of it, but then I forwarded it to you once I realized because I didn't know you had already kind of put the call out. To send emails, so they were all coming to me, and I was thinking people had my personal email address. Oh, yeah, because no. everything gets forwarded to right. my personal email address. I just want to talk about exceptions real quick. Have you? Did you follow any of this exception handling? You know, I I followed it, and I wanted to comment because there's a few things that were being said that weren't true, but I got busy, distracted, and I forgot to comment. Is there anything you want to say about that now? Well, I don't know how the conversation ended up, so I don't know how it progressed. So let's just talk about discussions. We'll a lot of this was, I mean, it was a lot of it was Jay and. Myself and, and some other people just talking about, and this, this is really just the classic. It has nothing to do with Apex specifically, I, I don't think anyway. Mainly just how do you, what's the best way to handle errors, exceptions? Do you use exceptions? When should you just like, return a Boolean instead? Or, yeah. you know, and the performance implications of exceptions so people, you know, don't want to use exceptions. And that, so to jump the gun, one of the things that was being said that I, that I felt wasn't true was you couldn't rethrow an error without losing the stack. So, that that's actually untrue. Yeah, and like I, I think Java's the same way too. I mean, if you if you catch an exception, 
and in your catch block, you just throw that same exception back out. It keep it. Well, in Salesforce, you will lose it if you do it that way. But what you do, if you want to rethrow an error or or throw your error along, and but keep the stack, is is the the exception class that you extend has has a constructor, and you can pass in right. So you the, just, the original exception becomes the, the inner exception, right? Yeah. And so you'll keep your stack trace that way. So that I actually did not know that if you if you catch an exception and just throw that same exception out of your catch block, you lose all your original. Uh, I don't think you lose the original because that that one should. You can't. Well, no, you can't. Yeah, no, you should be able to throw that. I think you can. I sub- it's if you if you if you mask it. So if you have like your if you have your I usually usually it's callouts where I do this where I have my my class that handles the actual post, but it has its own exception so that I can handle it somewhere. I could say, oh, this this is a John's callout exception. I know I need to handle this a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw that error with my so it's identified as my callout. That had the error. Yeah, but I'll I'll put in the exception that originally got thrown into that, so that the stack still is maintained. Mm. So you can see exactly where that error yeah. came okay. from. Okay, gotcha. And I think generally, anytime I'm throwing an exception from a catch block, I'm ninety percent of the time wrapping that, and so the original section except exception becomes the caused by exception. Right. Exactly. So that's why I wasn't sure if you just throw this same exception instance out of there, do you do you lose the original? I don't think stack? you lose. I don't think it, you no. do either, but I could be wrong. Um, but no, you know. So I, you know, I think just in general, um, I think there's a little bit of unwarranted fear over using exceptions for performance reasons. Um, they certainly can be abused. So if <laughs> if you you know if you write code and in ninety percent of the cases it's going to throw an exception, then you're doing something wrong, right? It's it it should be you know this the saying it should there should be used for exceptional. Cases, which is kind of a, I, I understand that's cliche, yeah. but it's kind of it's it's not a bad idea to keep in mind though. But I mean, there there is a fair amount of, I don't, is metadata the right word to say? There's a fair amount of metadata associated with an exception that has to get loaded up into memory. It does, and there's a cost of that. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about computers that do teraflops per second for like two dollars a month. Jeremy, I mean, we're also talking about a computer that couldn't process my damn file know, in a second. I know. Where. A client side JavaScript program. Uh, There's a problem having any kind of discussion about Salesforce development. There's always that that but, you know. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. But, um, yeah. So I mean, if something goes wrong, and it's, a lot of it has to do with you know when a when a caller calls some method, and they, you know, there's something they do something wrong. They pass in an argument that's not valid, or the system is in an invalid state. Mm-hmm. Or something that's not even the, their fault. There's some sub subsystem down downstream somewhere that's not available, and so it couldn't be completed, right? So those right. those are all exceptional. Yeah. And and the great thing about exceptions, keep in mind. I mean, remember remember what we did before we had exceptions. And some people are not literally probably not alive long enough to know this, but look at just look at some typical C code. Every call you make, you have to check the return value. If it's zero, you're good. If it's not zero, you're probably not good. And when you need to make a lot of a lot of calls, what you have is just tons of nested if blocks, and they just nest in and in and in and in, and it's, it's a mess. Yeah. It makes for really just not fun for most importantly, not fun code to write, not fun to read, and very bug prone. Yeah. Um, and so when exceptions were invented, which I don't know. I don't know which language actually originally invented exceptions. I think I started using exceptions in Java, probably. But I know it's like C++ has, has exceptions. Actually, that's, that's, probably, that's probably where I, I first used C, exceptions. Yeah, that was when I first saw them. And there was also, I mean, for a while, there was something called C with exceptions. <laughs> so 
I don't think I ever use that. But I mean, the great thing about exceptions is it kind of handles control flow for you. You can just say, hey, for this entire block of code, I'm not going to have to, ch- you don't have to check return values for anything. You can make all your calls you want in, that, in this block. And if something goes wrong, the system's going to magically take you out of that block and bring you down to your, ex- your exception handling blocks. Yep. That's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Gosh, I, I, I really need this. Is, this is just so, this is so sad. Uh. 20, you uh, know what? I'm gonna try. That would be amazing for your Christmas present. I'm gonna do my best to try to find you something to I, solve I, your I soundboard. I really, this is. I mean, it's so ghetto what I'm doing now. Um, so so that's great. I mean, just the way that as a client code, when you're writing code, the way that it simplifies y- your own handling of exceptions is is a huge win. But on yeah. top of that, you can because exceptions, at least the way most languages like Apex implement them, they are they're hierarchical, right? So you can you can catch as specific as, as an exception class as you want. For example, are there, um, trying to think of an example in, in, in Apex, are there, so there's like the DML exception, a really common one, right? Right. Aren't, are there subclasses of DML exception? I think you can extend it. I mean, you can extend. I don't think you can extend built-in exceptions, can you? I don't know. Maybe you can. But anyway, I'm saying, does, does the system come with uh, like subclasses of DML exception. Not that I know of, no. Okay, so anyway, sometimes there, that, that, that's a possibility. And so you can yeah. structure your catch block so that you can say, hey, I want to catch any kind of DML exception, right? So you say catch DML exception, right? right? And in that, you can handle that specific case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what to do. That DML exception probably has some properties or on it that you can check that are specific to a DML exception, right? Now, if there's a very specific case of DML exception, let's say... Um, ID not valid or something, whatever. ID doesn't exist. So you try to update an object and you give it an ID, but that ID is not even found in the system, right? So maybe there's something called an... Or I, you have an ID, but you do an insert. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's... But, but, you know, let's say there's something called you know, you know, invalid ID exception, which is a subclass of DML exception. So if you really want to catch... What you can do is you can say, okay, actually, I would like to catch I, you know, invalid ID exception. So what you do is you put that at the top of your catch blocks. Right. And you catch that specific case. And then under that... If if it wasn't an ID invalid exception, then you can catch the higher level DML exception, right? Yeah, I mean, if, it, if it was a different kind of DML, the exception. try block is almost kind of like a case statement in that in that fashion. It kind of is, except it's hierarchical and it supports. Well, I mean, it supports the sub. It, okay, so catch blocks understand subclasses of exceptions, right? And so you can catch the lowest level, right? Specific um, at the bottom of the inheritance tree, mm-hmm. or you can catch higher level ones, which. We'll include all the other ones, right? Um, or, or you can just pass. Like you can say, okay, if I if it's not a DML exception, then I don't know what to do with it. So what what do you do in that case? If you're like, okay, if it's not a DML exception, then you're not then you you have no code to recover from that. What do you do? You just throw it up the chain. Well, you don't catch any other type of exception. That's your that's your choice, right? That's the beauty. Okay, well, that, if, that if, depends. I mean, it, I, I know I'm complicating this this scenario, but if if you if yeah, you, well, that's what you do, John. You've you've got to you've got to find the exception to the rule. You have your default global exception handler, which is just catch exception. Nope, you don't. Eh, you don't. Where, where do you t- tell me more about this default that captures it? Because what are you going to do? Rethrow it back up. Why did you catch it? Because I I also need to catch DML exceptions because I can do something about just DML catch DML exception then. Oh, and then not catch catch the global exception. Yes, of course. Well, this is this that, a, that, no, that's true. But if I want to rethrow it with with saying it, this is my exception. 
from from my callout method. Are you what value out. are you adding to that at that point? Because maybe my higher level code knows how to handle that. It knows how to handle a callout exception from 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 my code. No, it's not any different. You didn't do anything. You didn't add any value to that. You didn't add any intelligence to that. So that's I, I hear what you kind of no, are saying. No, it's it's but, not it's not that I'm adding value to it. It's that I'm giving the so let's let's say I have a callout, and it it can handle DML exceptions, but it can't handle some. Maybe there's some connection. What do you mean? Issue what do you mean you handle. have a callout? What does that mean? I uh, have some code that does a callout. That's doing it's, a callout. Okay, it's in so a class, and that class is responsible for doing all callouts to some service. Okay. Now, if there's a DML operation, it knows how to handle that. So I need to catch that so it can handle it. Okay. But if it's any other type of error, I want to rethrow up that that back up to my controller class, the interface, so that it can try to handle it. And so I I. I wrap the exception with my John's callout class exception and throw that up. And so then, then my controller class sees that and goes, oh, there was an exception specifically in this callout class. I know how to deal with that. I'm going to deal with it. Except, well, except that it, the, the, it, it why'd you, why did you wrap it? You didn't add any information or value to it. To know that it was it was an exception from the callout. Otherwise, the exception becomes a global exception to my controller class, and it doesn't know what type of exception it was. Yeah, but once it gets that down that low in that scenario you talked about, it's not going to be able to do anything with it at that point anyway. Well, for the most part, if it's that low, I don't put a try-catch on it. I usually try to stick try-catches only to public interface methods. However, there are certain interfaces that, that provide a certain amount of functionality, like callouts, which is why I use that example, that can do some things that can handle certain types of errors. But then it needs to throw up any other kind of error that it can't handle. So here's an example, like your code that does a callout. It w- it should probably catch like a timeout exception, and well, it might want to. And the reason is because it might try, it might have logic in it that it'll tr- retry up to three times, right? Yeah. So it can catch its own timeout exception, right? But there may be something like, you know, IP address not found or what. I can't even find the host. Well, that at that point, there's really no, there's no point in it catching that. It, it, it needs, if it can't fix the problem, and that's true. One, one, a better scenario is a, is a, is a login. So, I call my class. It it has its own config file, and it, it goes out and tries to connect, and it can't connect, and it can't connect because the login settings are incorrect. So I'll throw a login exception from my callout, and my UI can say the login credentials are incorrect. Talk to the system administrator about updating this yep. or it can say this was a timeout try again so that's why i need to know the context of the ex- the, ex- the exception and that's why i rethrow errors back up with a specific class type so that the system so that the ui can tell the user exactly what it what they need to do otherwise it's just a global exception it goes up oh, i couldn't make this call i don't know what to do goodbye uh, except when the ui says do the login thing and you get a it's gonna. The, the, it's not that way. It's a button that says okay. "save" or something, or or or. Well, I, tr- I my, truly my hope data. you don't have thousands of custom John this and that and whatever classes that wrap every single possible thing without adding any value. Because if so, you're gonna have. Because now what you're <laughs> no. just, you're 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 bur- you're actually burdening the caller of those because now they're having to catch all these all these. John exceptions that, that don't add any value, and then it's got to dig into those to do the get cause to see actually okay what happened here. No, no, that that's a fair statement, and that's not what happens. It, usually, it's, it's typically one or two exceptions that I'll, that I'll create for the UI to be able to handle, and that's I couldn't connect because it's systems, or there's some other exception that just you can't do anything about. Yeah. So you know if that's where I start to use those, and that's where I I will rethrow those errors back up, and that's where that scenario comes into play. So this may be the same concept, it may be just similar. I think it's at least similar, which is the idea of throwing exceptions that are appropriate for the abstract 
abstraction level that you're at. So for example, when you call directly, when you, when you call database.insert, it's going to throw you things like DML exception, right? Mm. When you call database.query, it's going to throw you things like query exception. Well, not always. <laughs> God, John, you're just, you're just you always going to do this. Well, I don't want people oh to think... Oh, my God. It, 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 we, want, we're just no, trying to have a basic conversation here no, with laying out some basic principles with scenarios that people can actually okay. understand. But I don't I, want people to go and think that if they do database.insert, open parentheses, here's my list of data, close parentheses... That it's going to throw an error because it won't. At that point, you're, 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 it changes the way that insert is called. Instead of throwing an error, it'll actually return a result set. And then that result set has to be looped through and handled for errors. Uh, that was just, I wish I would have not used that example. <laughs> sorry. Oh my God. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, look, now, now let's say that, and this is a thing that Jay was talking about, he's you know, building this data layer. Like that's the kind of exception that the data layer should capture in. But when the data layer um, is going to, it, let's say it's it's something it can fix. Okay, it fixes it and deals with it. And it because it caught it, the, the the higher up caller never even knew it happened, which is great. But if something does, if if it's something that the data layer can't handle, then it probably needs to instead of passing like passing along these low level exceptions, it needs to pass on more abstraction specific. And there's probably some rule of thumb that like any any caller should not. Deal with an except had not should not know how to deal with an exception that's more than one level deep. That's fair because you're calling someone you don't know who they're going to call, and because software design, you shouldn't know, right? right? You shouldn't. That's not your burden. That's why everyone should throw at every level should throw abstraction appropriate exceptions. Sure, but anyway, back to like the original example we were talking about. You know, let's say you catch DML exception, right? Because um, that's what you're prepared to ha- handle, and anything else you really wouldn't know, wouldn't know what to do with. So you just you, you basically punt, you're punting, right? So how do you punt? Mm-hmm. Well, you either anything that's not a DML exception, it's, gonna, it's an auto punt because you didn't catch it, so it's going to keep right. bubbling up. So that that mechanism right there of just bubbling up the call stack until you find someone who said, "Yeah, oh, I will catch that exception." Yes, I will. The fact that that bubbles up automatically is badass and so much better than what we had before that. Yeah. Well, because you also get context with that with that mechanism. If, if, it's, if it's just return, 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 you only know the method you called and what its return value, and you don't know that the error was actually three stacks deep. Right. And so, yeah, there's some cost to building that context, to putting together that stack trace. But, I mean, it's... Listen, when we invented exceptions 20 years ago, we had... Um, I don't know how many orders of magnitude less computing power than we do now. It's it's really not a problem. That should be the performance really should be unless you are building something that's like implanted in someone's heart, do not worry about performance of exceptions. Yeah, that's fair. Don't don't in fact, I mean that's like the idea of you don't really don't worry about performance problems until you can with data show that you have a performance problem because we all know premature optimization is the root of all evil. You're going to optimize the wrong thing. And, yeah. and and if you start out thinking you need to optimize your ex- optimize your exception, I'm not saying don't follow smart like basic. Yeah, don't put a try don't catch do stupid things everything. exactly, or don't you know don't don't use exceptions to break out of a an iterator and then increment a loop and then go back into it. We have something for that. It's called a four or whatever, right? You know what I mean? There's, I, I have don't, one, I have one for you when you finish. I'm sure your train you've of seen thought. something worse than that, but no, I have we've one for also, you. yeah okay. Th- this one's a hard one to work around. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, don't 
It's not a, it's not a performance problem. Yeah. Unless you do something really stupid like I just described, it's not a performance problem. The benefit you get so far outweighs any minor performance toll it's going to take yeah. that it's just not a problem. And and again, people are saying, well, yeah, but I've seen analysis of how many CPU cycles it takes to generate a call, uh, a exception stack trace versus if I would just return a Boolean. Yeah, but you're... Okay, so compare... Okay, true. That's probably a thousand times long more CPU cycles. But compare that to the how long it took you to make a single database call. That is yet even many more agni- orders of magnitude slower. And to, and add on, to the, add on to, the, to that to the fact that you're developing a system that's in the cloud. Every time someone clicks a button, it's got to go across the internet to get stuff. That's even more orders of magnitude. So you're d- worrying about something that is basically is not even going to show up on a radar ever, no matter how much you zoom in. Very true. <clears throat> all right. So what was your horrible example? <laughs> One thing I, I come across all the time is testing if something is a date. And is, one of the easier oh, what, ways... Like testing whether string is in a, yeah. some kind one of... One of the easier things to do is parse date and try catch. Catch it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again... How do you feel about that? <laughs> that's fine. I mean, unless you have some better, you know, is this string well, a date isn't. format. I mean, And who knows well, if the method that, that you called that someone implemented isn't just doing well, that. Well, because first of all, dates are really hard. And I can see, I've seen people try to create, you know, regular expressions for dates. Yeah, no. you, you're, you're never going to get it right. I'll tell you that right now. You are never going to get it right. So don't even try. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, what are you going to, even if you do that a thousand times in a loop, like it's just still not near as big of a deal as hitting a database just once. You got to put these things into perspective. Or you, get, get, again, because it's just, it's just text on a screen. So it's like, but I mean, I do, that's, that's the one time where I do worry about yeah. exception performance because I'm like, you I know don't what? have a better way of testing this date. Okay. Just, just do it. Just code it that way. And then you'll find, and if it's a problem, then try to go, go in and try to fix something. Let the data tell you what to fix. That's true. Otherwise, you're, again, premature. You're, just, you're making stuff up. You're being a little premature. Yes, you are. No one likes a premature optimizer. You've <laughs> 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 uh, gone to the heavy stuff now. Huh? I guess the 10% bear wasn't, isn't, isn't, it's not heavy enough. I felt it. We, well, we shared that. Just a bottle, so. Oh, there's a lot a of water ounce, here too, yeah. though, so. All right, well, let's get to questions, because, man, we're, I'm just short on time. I have a party to get to. You got to go make my dinner. I do, actually. I literally have to go make your dinner. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a... Oh, so, yeah, I asked for... I think voice voice questions would be cool. Like a sound... What are they called? Like, just like an audio file of questions, and we can play people's voices. Anyway, um, here's a question. Who is this from? Oh, this is Matt Morris. Uh, what gift would you and I buy for one another for Christmas? No budget, no limit. What? What gift would you and I buy for each other if there's no budget, no no limit? There's no limit. Oh, that's... I don't know. Um, I would buy John a much higher hourly rate so he doesn't have to work as much. <laughs> well, that that I'd have to throw that back on you because... I don't know. Is that, I, that, I, don't, that, I don't think either of us charge enough. I feel like that's a cop out <laughs> gift though, because that's I don't know. That's like giving. We just gave each other gift cards. <laughs> you know, I you know because 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 you handle all of recording and you do all of our editing and everything, which is not much. It's still it's still enough, and you do this live while we're recording and the soundboard stuff. If I could, maybe I should. I would get you like the the five K monitor to sit next to your desk so that you can have the hmm. the audio playing and you could still do stuff on your computer. 
So I'd, I'd, I'd set you up with a dual monitor system. That sounds like a good idea, John. Go ahead and do that. Damn it. Is the Apple Store open? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Do they have them in stock? The two days before Christmas. <laughs> I'm sure they're open. All right. Um, next one's from Stephen Noe. He says, uh, and I hope that people don't mind us using the name. They didn't say anything. I believe you mentioned earlier this fall that you were pl- uh, playing fantasy football. Yes, I did. For the first time. Curious to hear how it went for you and if you enjoyed it. Um, did not go well for me. I think I finished second to last, um, and I did not enjoy it. I realized I do not like fantasy football because it makes you care about stupid things. It makes you care about things that don't matter. It makes you not worry about teams. It makes you, it makes you want to root for the wrong teams. Um, the, we use CBS's fantasy system, and the website is horrible. Their app, their mobile app is horrible. I hated, I hated having to get in. I had, every time I had to get in there and set my lineup, I had to go take a shower because I felt dirty. <laughs> did not like it. Um, and also, like, <clears throat> I could not find, it was on CBS's website, I could not find the rules. So, you know, I would try to go to the waiver wire and get someone because, you know, my defense was, uh, was going to be in a bye week. And it turns out, like, I was not on the right day or something, so I'd, my, my trade didn't even go through. So I'd go, like, a, that whole week, I just wouldn't have a defense. So I just lost a bunch of points on that or whatever, you know, things like that. Yeah. And I, and I would go to try to find rules, and they're just spread. They're incredibly hard to find the actual rules and when these things happen. And they're spread out. It's not like there's one place you go to, like, here's the rules of fantasy football. Because like, you have to know these things. Like, what dates can you do things? How, you know, how does all this work? I mean, it's just, it's impossible to find. And, and some of these guys that are, that are in this league, I mean, I mean, they've been doing this in this system for over a decade. So, like, they know them all. But, and so they don't, they don't think they have much sympathy for the noobs. But, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm done with it. You ever done any of that stuff? I did it once, but I, I, I think I logged in during the draft. I logged in a few times after a few games, and then I stopped. Yeah. Because my team sucked. All right, and then we have, gosh, I hope we, who else do we have questions from? Dr. Nick gave us a bunch of questions. Um, was that it? Were there others? No, that's it. That was it. Yeah. <clears throat> See, he gave us a bunch of good ones. I'll just, I don't know. Do any of these favorite? I don't know if we'll be good to get to all these. We might save some of them. Go for it. Okay. Read them. Um, first one is, you know, process, agile, waterflow, Six Sigma, Prince 2, whatever that is. Um, what, you know, WTF does this mean in the real world? <clears throat> Especially as a contractor, how do you f- deal with a lack of scope or responsibility definition that's a that that one could turn into a whole episode oh it is i mean that's all but i'll just say real quick um what does it mean in the real world well i don't know i've seen this i'm old enough that i saw this agile movement come to fruition and i've seen it you know kind of peak and and you know little glimmers of brightness but a lot of misuse and you know i think scrum's a big one where i just i see i see a A lot lot of piecemealing too yeah and just uh, horrible things under the name of Scrum or, or you know, whatever. That's the most, I think that's the most, one that's most abused. So how do, you know, what does it mean in the real world? Well, I mean, you know, if you, if you do a, if you have a good process and it works for you, then, okay, that's good. Um, I think a lot of times companies, they're, they're doing what they think is a process and it's, it's just not working well for them. And they, but they don't, I don't think they realize it sometimes. It's sometimes, and sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see. It's only, I think as a, as an out, I'm usually an outsider, um, I can come in and I, it's much easier to see from an outside perspective what's working and what's not working. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of tough. But there are companies that in organizations that do this really well. Uh, I mean, I think the best way to do it is just have the most minimum process you need. Um, really, again, goes back to get the best people you can because that is by far going to pay off the most. If you don't get the best people, then you're going to have to have a lot more process 
it's going to be much more painful. You're going to be constantly fighting with your process because it's really not a process problem you have. It's a people problem you have, but you'll treat it like a process problem. Yeah. And as a contractor, that can be tough. Sometimes I come in and they, I can have a lot of control. That's what they brought me in for. And sometimes I come in and, you know, they have something existing and I have no control over it. I've either got to decide, okay, can I work in this or, or am I not going to work in this? Um, there's been sometimes, there's, I mean, there's some cases where not necessarily because of process, sometimes it's for other reasons where I just, I'm like, I, I don't think I, uh, I, I find a nice way to say it. I don't think I'm the right person for this, whatever. But and a lot of, and, and it's usually more of a, I don't think I've ever not agreed to something because it was a bad process because I'm, because I always think I can improve the process. It's always been if there's a, if there's a people problem, I think I can't overcome. That's, that's the big yeah, red flag fair. to me. Um, and then the other, the other part of that was how do you feel about, or how do you deal with a lack of scope or, or responsibility definition? Um, lack of scope. I mean, I, I think he probably means just like scope, requirements, functionality, whatever. Um, again, that's kind of part of what I do. I mean, I, I try to help with that. Yeah. Um, it's, and that's a tough one. Um, but. Well, someone, if, someone if, has to kind of, kind of take the lead and kind of drive the scope i think i, I think you know a company will, will bring someone in because they need something done and they kind of have the end result in mind so but if every, you're lucky if you're lucky if you're lucky but but somewhere in that someone kind of has to say okay well in order to get to point b i need to we need to figure out a few things we need we need to make sure we have gas in the car we need to make sure we have new tires we have to, you know we have to we have to do those things and so i think it's just it's just yeah, someone on the project has to has to have the ambition to take the lead for that, wherever that ends up being. And that's again, as someone who's coming in from the outside, it's often easier for me than it would be for anyone internal. I mean, sometimes they get they just get they're in such a log jam that and no one like you can get a situation where no one kind of has the credibility or respect internally to be able to move the ball forward. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and a, a lot of times it's um, there, there's. There's not much desire for it either, you know. They, they kind of brought you in because they don't have the they don't have the resources to do that. Right. The people, I'm sorry, I use resources. <laughs> they don't have the people to do that. They they break they bring you in for your expertise, for your for your knowledge, for your consultancy to kind of help with that. So, and there's also just and this is stupid, but I mean, they're <clears throat> I'm a consultant, and they're probably paying me more than they're paying anyone else there, and so they're gonna they're gonna listen to what I say more. It's it's uh, it's not smart necessarily, but that's just the reality. Yeah. They're they're gonna listen to you more. Yeah, how many times have you sat in a meeting and they go, well? What have other people done? <laughs> we need to do this. Uh, what have other people done? I mean, that they're, that's what they brought you in for. Yeah. That I mean, they kind of want to benchmark and yeah. they, need, they need an outside perspective so they can benchmark. Um, this next one, okay, experience versus negotiation. Um, it says he feels like a kid sometimes when sales, with salespeople and that's just due to social dynamics. You know, you know, negotiating in general, you know, salary, whatever, capabilities of the system, expectations of what's achievable. Um, and there's just the feeling that, you know, developers are inherently weaker in this respect and they're not good negotiators. I, I don't know if in general that's true. I think in some cases it probably is. It's just like, you know, in general, are women worse negotiators than men? And I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so hard to paint with broad brushes uh, when it comes to those things. I, I think with most things, it, it's, it's repetition. It's, it's gaining confidence. If if you stayed in a job for like ten years and you never had to negotiate, you just took the the standard, uh, 
you know, cost of living raise, you're not going to have much experience negotiating. You got to put yourself in a situation where you, you have to negotiate and gain that experience, gain that confidence. I mean, and I think that's what worked for me because I definitely was very, someone very shy about asking for more money. I, I just, it was just, I just couldn't do it, but I put myself in enough situations where I kind of had to, I had no choice, but to kind of ask for more or to go out there and, and tout myself and say, I'm worth this. And yeah. you do it enough times. I don't know. You do it enough times. You start to believe it. <laughs> I guess. But, and, and people are, people are scared of what's going to happen if, if they ask for more than, uh, than what I was, I was going to say that that's kind of part of my ramp up is, is what's the worst that could happen. They say no or, or better yet. What's the best that could happen. They say yes to my number. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really good to get to, to get a win with that at least once and then just to try to keep stacking wins on wins. That, that's how you really advance yourself. Yeah. I, I, I mean, every time it's a tough conversation. It's a nerve-wracking conversation to go and slide that paper across the table and say, this is my number. Um, but you just it's just something you got to – you just got to do. You got you to gotta do. Yeah, because, I mean, they will absolutely sit there and pay you yeah. the, the minimum if, you know. Yeah. You have to be a squeaky wheel or you will get no oil. Um, I think there's a book about negotiating for software developers, and I'll have to look it up. But try, you know, try, try to find that. I think there's a book that's for software developers, and it's just about negotiating. That may be a good, uh, good read. Um, what else did he say in that one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't 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 let people, you know, make you feel like you're any less of a a person or whatever. Usually, people that do that themselves have major insecurity problems. And I, I actually have a theory that pretty much everyone operates from a position of some kind of insecurity. And if someone's like overly aggressive or mean or rude, I'm, I almost always can look at that and say, you know what, I actually think they're insecure. Because there's not... If they didn't feel insecure or attacked about something, they probably wouldn't be acting like that. There's really no other reason to act like that. They're defending something. They think they're having to defend something, which is usually in their head. Like... You don't have to be defending your position. No one's no one's out to, f- to fire you. Like, why are you getting all huffy? You know, it's, and, yeah. and it's usually almost insecurity. So don't don't let their insecurity manifest itself into your insecurity. Uh, contract versus permanent work. I like contracting because it's associated with a specific project, has a defined role. Blah blah blah. Why do businesses hate contractors? Well, I don't think they necessarily do. And this may be a, a regional thing. I think in some areas it's really common to to have a lot of contractors and consultants. In some areas it's not. Um, in a lot of cases, I think businesses love contractors because there's so little there's so little commitment to them. But was the question about the people in the company hating consultants, or is it just the? I think it, I think what he's saying is I'm guessing I'm, the way I'm interpreting this is businesses don't like to work with contractors. They'd probably rather have employees. Uh, so you want to be a contractor, but they're like, no, we don't do contractors. You, you know, right. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think as with anything, it just depends on their experience. And a lot of, if, a lot they, of, if they came across a bunch of bad consultants and just true, weren't, right. and that's probably on them for not being able to hire good consultants, but, or maybe it just depends on the industry too. You know, maybe that's biasing them from, from, from you getting in the, in the door. Yeah. Again, some companies um, do a lot of, you know, 1099 type of people and they, and they're good at it. Um, and it's cause it's, it's just, so, it's, it's a way to scale up and down your, your labor well, uh, it is, cool. but I, I was going to say, I think that kind of, if, if we're talking about the people within a company that you work with that may kind of look at you a certain way or, or interact with you a certain way, it could be because you just replaced one of their buddies. 
or they're afraid that you're about to replace them as well. That's yeah. A lot of that's companies a thing, will right. will kind of you know do a bunch of layoffs and bring in a consultant company to do some stuff and. You know, you're coming in without the background knowledge that those people had. You're coming in with all these things. You're asking questions that these other people would have understood. And there's there's a bit of kind of, I don't want to say, not anxiety, but um, animosity that might stem from that. And probably others. a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what is it about labels that we find so appealing? And I get this is just a human nature thing, man. I don't know if I'm going to have a great answer for this. You know, what, what's we like what categorize everything? He says, what's a developer and how are they different from admins? And this is one of those things where I'm just like, you know what? I, we, we, this is something I think we've talked about. Like, we, there is no, I don't think there's a clear definition. I mean, I don't have, I mean, I guess you could have like a, a test. Like, if you could, you know, so here, if you can check this checklist off, you're a developer. Or if you can check this checklist off, you're an admin. But the reality is, it's, it, it's, it's a much more grayscale than, than anything black and white. Well, I guess it is, but when you put it in perspective of, you know, you, you advertise yourself as a developer on the Salesforce platform and you have a very, you have a skill set. And that person next to you is also saying, hey, I'm a developer too. But they have a completely different skill set. Right. It's, it's not so much the label. It, it's, it's, it's the definition of that label that says, this guy's a developer. He can do X, Y, Z. This person is an admin or a app builder that can do ABC. Yep. And I, it's not really a frustration around the labels. It's a frustration out of the confusion that's caused about what your skill set is. It, I mean, it's it's like someone saying that that you're a fourth grader when you're a, a college student. You know, well, then, you have different capabilities, different skill sets. Yeah. That term, even though it's just a word. It defines what right. your capabilities are. We need to be able to categorize people so we right. know how to talk to you, what to expect of yeah. you, you know, how to treat you in an appropriate way. Exactly. But, so there, I'm, but I'm, there's, not, I'm not really a fan of labels per se in terms of as words because they are just words. I, I love companies that have taken the approach of, you know, changing, you know, titles to something like, you know, Chief Superman or something, you know. But then I have no idea. Oh, you're you're Chief Superman. Well, what do you actually do? To get, and then that, now you have to have this like because you've <laughs> you've you've decided that you're not going to have terminology anymore. Well, so, the, the the other side of terminology is is when HR gets involved and your pay scale is based on being a programmer, developer, analyst, level one, two, right. three. That yeah. that's just BS to yep. me. No, I know. There's the double edged sword. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm just skimming through here. Um, what? probably save some of these because i've got to go pretty soon <laughs> and it's getting foggier why is it a, it's gotten why, worse why is it impossible to find a decent ipa in delhi and why does kingfisher suck <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know anything about delhi i don't know what kind well, of beers available there it's well it's, I, I, he's probably he might be referencing the fact that you know ipa it stands for india pale ale was originally designed for beers that would that would make the trip from england to india at least that's the story some people actually think that's not the. There's more to it than that, but uh, that is interesting. I don't know. Um, I always thought Indians took a pale ale and made it their own recipe. No, you, you would be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, most of the good APAs of the world don't actually come from India, and the, at least to my knowledge. And so they, that means they have to be shipped there. And nowadays, with the way the IPAs are being made, they're being made to have at least the more popular or faddish ones. They have very short shelf life. I mean, we're talking maybe four weeks, mm. and. And just since now, ain't gonna happen. So I don't have a good answer for you. I don't know if he's in India and he's uh, suffering there or what. But were they ever agriculturally uh, 
designed to like grow hops or anything like that? Or I don't think so because if you look. I mean, if you think of our, and I'm not you know fully uh, aware of all the microclimates of India, but it doesn't seem like they have a climate suited for hops. And when I think of where hops in the world come from, you know, Germany, Austria, England, Pacific Northwest of the United States, New Zealand, Australia. Yeah, it, the that, higher that's, climate, that's yeah. where hops higher come elevation. from that I know of. I've never even heard of an Indian hop, so that's probably part of it. Well, um, let's let's see. He's got some other good ones that I do want to get to, but let's hold those for. I'd like to accumulate questions, and just so we can always, you know, so we can always have some, yeah. something in the wings. So anyway, well, but, I like the idea because it kind of makes the the show a little more interactive, but right. also. I feel like we're serving the community a little bit more. Yeah. This, this community is able to kind of say, let's talk about this. Yep. Versus us going, this pissed me off. I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so we have shirts. We will be sending these shirts out. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's both of our fault. Both but, of our fault. Yeah. I was going to take responsibility, they're, but they, it's, it's both our fault. They're, they're staged, prepped. They're, your name's on it. So if, if, if we told you it was. Uh, the, the holiday season got the better of us. So we'll, we'll get those out. Yep. We really need um, we need more iTunes reviews. And I will say, if you don't like words, just go in and click the stars. You can just click stars. You don't have to give words. You like the words. If you not if if you want to give words, that's that's fine don't, too. Don't lie. No you words don't, you are don't good. care about stars. You like the words. No, I like I like it all. But I'm just saying, if you don't have any words to give, then just click the stars. It's so words easy, are and easy. It, and it helps us. And we like we just we like it. It's just a a little way that you can show us that you're actually you're listening and you, you enjoy it. Or that you're not going to listen more because exactly. we pissed you off. Right. And also tell a friend. Tell a friend about us. We need we need word of mouth. Oh, good, old, good old word of mouth. I have one more thing before we end. Are okay. we about to end? Yes, we are about okay. to end. I want to give a huge shout out to Scott Wells. Okay. He, I, I had some... This is the author and owner of uh, IntelliJ's Eliminated plugin, Cloud. Eliminated Cloud. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know this, but I found out that he's still very much a full-time employee of a company... That's a side project. Yep. He does his night and weekends on it. Um, not, to, been, not to say that he doesn't have bigger aspirations for it, but that's where he is right now. Right. That's where he's at right now. What, what, and I say that because I'm really appreciative of what he's been able to do lately for me. I have been extremely busy. I don't have time to mess with issues in my IDE. It impacts me immensely. It means I'm spending an extra couple hours at night if something's going wrong. Yep. Um, I, I submitted some bug reports to him. He, uh, he, he asked me to kind of do a few things for him to kind of help identify where it was. Uh, he got those taken care of quick. I mean, within a week, not even a week, a couple of days, he had a fix for me. Um, the fix had a had a regression. I reported that, and you know, within an hour of me reporting that, he had it fixed. So, I mean, big thank you to Scott uh, Wells and because I, I, yeah. I was kind of in a pickle. I had code to get written. It's my idea of choice right now, and and he came through for me. I think I mentioned before how responsive he is. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty amazing considering he does have a, a day job that he can. Be so responsive and, and just regular releases seem to be a couple of weeks where he's just always yeah. adding bits of functionality or fixing things, making yeah. things better just in general. So yeah, he's he's good. It's you know, I mean, we've talked about this. Um, you know, sixty bucks, I think, is what he charges for it. Um, you know, it's not the cheapest thing, but it's certainly not the most expensive thing. And it's a, it's kind of a one time, at least for now, until he comes up with like a new major version. Yeah. But I mean, if, you know, if this is what you do, if you're a, a Salesforce developer, <laughs> to use that label. <laughs> um, it's you know it's I it's money very well spent. It is. I mean, I, I've you know I was I was really a fan of the text editor for Maven's Mate, and I still love that tool. 
But moving into IntelliJ, there's a lot of things about an you IDE mean Sublime? that I what, what do you mean the, the text editor for Maven's Mate? Well, Maven's Mate can be used with Visual Studio Code, uh, sub, uh, the Atom, and Sublime. So right. it, it's kind of hard for me to say which one. It's, I thought you were saying you liked a text editor. Well, I like the all three of those are text editors. Right. And that's their primary function. Uh-huh. But then you tack on the ability to kind of co- compile Salesforce code. Okay. They're not an IDE. They're right. text editors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I appreciate those. I love those. I still I still have those installed, and I still use them for certain things. Right. Uh, especially refactoring, because right now I can at least kind of command D my way into refactoring a bunch of variables. In where? In like Maven's Mate, for the most part. Maven's Mate and Adam or you mean just in one in one file or like the yeah, whole tree in a file? Okay, let's do Command R and and uh, in IntelliJ refactoring isn't available for a lot of things. It's not, I'm not doing refactoring, just like you're not doing refactoring. We're just re, we're just taking a a string of text and replacing it with another string of text. I'm attempting to refactor by taking a variable name and changing it to something else. Right. I'm saying you can do the same, exact same thing in IntelliJ, just Command R. I know, but it, 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 uh, there's just something about the text yeah. editors that I love. Okay. And it, the, that's my default. That's yeah. where I go to for okay. that stuff. Um, I, I still love those and I still use those. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving into this and being able to do Command B or find usage, all of that stuff has been immense in my productivity. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yep. Are we as are we done for the year? Is this it? We're recording. I was next hoping week. we record next week. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of. I thought I was going to take the week off, but I think I'm going to be kind of work light week, maybe. Yep. So okay, I think we'll record. Awesome. Well, uh, for those of you that do Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Although we might talk to you again before New Year, yeah. we'll see. And to that, I say, Good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>